Welcome to Pop Cultural Osmosis. My name's Kyle Diaz. And I'm Ryan Harrington. And uh, our uh, opening segment today is Favorite Childhood TV Show. We want to talk about you know, some TV shows that we really kind of loved as children. I'm surprised that we've never done this one. You know, we talked about our favorite animated TV show, which is uh, similar but not quite the same. And anyway, that was all the way back in, I think, episode like seven or eight. But um, I'm surprised we've never gotten around to talking about our favorite uh, favorite childhood TV shows. No, I mean, I was just going to say, like, we talk about things from our past all the time, and I'm just really surprised this this has never really come up. I'm a little bit embarrassed, I'm uh, not going to lie, but uh, so I'll let you go first so I can postpone my uh, my shame. What's your favorite uh, childhood TV show? Uh, so I decided to go with the Nickelodeon classic, The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Uh, totally, totally unsurprised. Uh, I have known that you've been a huge fan of this show for a long time. It aired in like the mid-90s, uh, had three seasons, you know. It's about two brothers living in... Uh, suburban america and it's it's both like a sort of a coming of age tv show and it has a lot of really like not supernatural or paranormal elements but really just like surreal or absurdist okay sort of elements to the narrative like there's like like one of the bullies at the school like was raised in a copy shop and so he can use paper to make all sorts of uh super deadly weapons does that continue like from episode to episode or is it kind of like a one-off thing and then it's just this little bizarre plot point and then it goes away like most tv shows of its time and especially for kids shows i think pete and pete for the most part is very episodic i mean there's certain over like certain long-term continuity things uh like when they have one of their uh main supporting or one of their supporting actors leave and someone a new kid comes in but for the most part things are very self-contained episode to episode and i think and i mean like you know for children's programming i think it's hard like you can do like to be con- like part one, part two, to be continued things, but you can't do something like serial TV. I think. Well, especially because I think one of the things that Nickelodeon, in particular, but most kids TV networks expect from shows is that they can be kind of uh, like aired at will. You know, like exactly in, in regardless of order and stuff like that. So if it wasn't episodic enough to be rerun all over the place, then it wasn't really worth making. Exactly. I mean, one of the great things about the show is that it like it's really relatable as a child and then looking back now as an adult thinking back to those times and like through sort of a nostalgic look um it's you know it seems like it understands childhood and it doesn't and it doesn't really condescend or talk down mm-hmm. uh to those points it it embraces them and then with you know it has this sur- this really these really bizarre uh aspects of it but they're just sort of treated at face value it comes out of nowhere it strikes without warning it's that soul-sucking stretch of the school calendar between president's day and easter 
No holidays, no vacations. This year was worse than ever. Pete's prayers for an air raid or a snow day had gone unanswered. Until one mind-melting day when an answer arrived like a message from heaven. They were two words, the two words that give us all hope. Sick day. I don't know if you've actually, have you seen this? Did I make you watch this? I think I've seen, you know, the odd episode here, the odd episode there. And I also remember at least being aware of it when I was a kid, even if I don't remember ever actually watching any episodes. But, you know, no, I I really am almost totally unfamiliar with this show. Um, I I would be able to recognize, you know, a a picture of the leads, but that's about all I know about it. Um, I know that it's become like kind of beloved over time since it, it finished airing, I think. Like, like I feel like its stock is almost higher now than when it was actually on Nickelodeon. One of the things that I liked about it, and I think we'll see this um, later when we talk about Over the Garden Wall, is that a lot of it is like they don't feel the need to explain everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are just there. So there's like, there's this adult who's one of their friends, Artie, the strongest man in the world, mm-hmm. like, who's who ostensibly goes around as a superhero in the town, and he has a catchphrase, pipe. And, like, you know, you have no explanation for that. You just, you accept it for what it is, and then, and the story continues on as if, the, as, as this is just part of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, maybe I'll have to go back and uh, and revisit it. I, I'm really, I, I'm always kind of bummed that that I don't have any familiarity with this show because um, I, I hear such great things. Well, uh, you talked about. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article here, and and your pick was has been described as the greatest sh- uh, children's show ever and one of the most well written kids shows of all time. Um. So your your pedigree is like pretty firmly established, you know. You've had good taste, like since you were a kid. Um, my pick, yeah, not so much. My pick is a, a show that I can actually barely stand to have on in the same room with me today. Um, so that's uh, <laughs> it's like a little bit sad in some ways, but maybe it just kind of shows you know how far I've come. Um, I'm sure that from a young age, I was pretty obsessed with various things. My parents have told me stories about, you know, places where I've kind of worn through the, you know, VHS tape of, you know, The Lion King or or stuff like that. But the, f- the first show that I can remember really being cognizant of and obsessed with is the uh, English dubbed uh, version of the Pokemon anime which aired in the United States from, I think, 97 to 99 or so, uh, the version that I'm that I'm familiar with. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure they didn't stop airing it in 99. I'm sure it just kept going and going. That's true. That's true. Um, and so this was a Saturday morning cartoon on, I think, uh, the WB, maybe, um, or something like that. And I would... I got up every Sunday morning when I was in like the fourth and fifth grade, I think, and um, was just really obsessed with this show, which followed, of course, the adventures of Ash Ketchum, uh, a 10-year-old kid who is on a quest to catch all of the Pokemon uh, in this world. Um, 
and he's accompanied by his friends Brock and Misty and a variety of Pokemon, including Pikachu, who is uh, his companion. It's very, very dumb, um, and even more so because they had to kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it is also kind of dubbed from, from the Japanese version, so, you know, people have, I don't know, the, the dialogue is, is kind of horrible as they're trying to, you know, stretch it out to fit the the sections in the animation where they can, you know, where people are speaking. Um, all of the episodes have like a kind of a general outline, which is they stumble upon some new Pokemon. Sometimes it's just one Pokemon. Sometimes it's like a colony of Bulbasaur or whatever. Um, and then Team Rocket, uh, these kind of incompetent villains uh, led by Jesse and James and a Meowth who talks. Uh kind of arrive and they try to steal the Pokemon and then they fail and Ash saves the day. That's like every episode of this anime. Um, and yeah, I was just incredibly obsessed with both the game and the, the television show for a couple of years. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us were. Mm-hmm. I certainly was. And I mean, I, I still think, like, I think the first seasons cannot be that bad where you, you cannot stand to have them on TV. Or be in the same room. I tried to watch some recently. Like they, they, they were added to Netflix relatively recently, I think. And I went back and tried to watch a few, and they are, they're pretty painful. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I had a really tough time. I, I uh, got a kind of a keen um, sympathy for my parents who loathed this show and could not understand why we liked it and hated the fact that we watched it and just, you know, without actually disapproving of the content at all, we're like deeply despairing about what it said about like us as children that we were so obsessed with this show. It is funny. I was talking to, to my coworker the other day and we're trying to think of, um, video games, um, that have that like amazing video games. Mm Mm-hmm that have terrible plots okay. and we're like oh and then we're like pokemon <laughs> pokemon is basically video game dog fighting with a wider variety of dogs <laughs> you've become 10 years old here here's a, a, a feral animal go out into the wild go fight <laughs> other feral animals um go stop a terrorist organization mm-hmm. and you know become the world champion <laughs> At 10? <laughs> like, there are people, there are adults who train their entire lives, their entire livelihood runs on being good at this one element of, of like, cockfighting, essentially. Yeah. But no, go, go beat them. You can do it. 10 years old. It, you can do it by yourself. Wandering you don't around. need supervision. <laughs> <laughs> Even your mom is just like, bye. All right, I've pledged to get all the Pokemon in the world. Now I'm ready to take the next step to be the number one Pokemon Master. Enjoy your last moments of freedom, Pidgey, because you're mine! Pokeball, go! Well, it's even more ridiculous than the TV show because at the beginning, like, Ash is, I mean, part of the, you know why it takes him 80 or 90 somewhat episodes to become the Pokemon master is because he's actually a very bad trainer. Like he's impatient and he, 
is uh, has a temper and he kind of alienates all his pokemon and like he's just not a very he's just not a very good dude and so <laughs> i mean he's 10 <laughs> so like they don't give him like one of the other pokemon that like obeys what you say they give him like a pikachu that won't do anything that he says and in fact seems if i remember correctly it takes like a perverse pleasure in electrocuting him as much as humanly possible um like all the time and yeah it's just it's it's the the plot is really really bad it almost never makes any sense whatsoever team rocket travels around in like a hot air balloon i think that's in the shape of the one of the members of the gang like don't they travel around in a meowth shaped balloon oh yeah yeah you know undercover yeah Anyway, um, I think that's all I have to say about that. Uh, if you haven't watched one of these episodes in a long time and you have fond memories, go back and take a look. Like I, uh, or maybe don't. Maybe just leave those memories alone because I was very disappointed, and uh, I'm I'm curious to see Ryan if you were to go back and watch the second or third or tenth episode of this, whether you would. Uh, still be into it the way that you were as a kid i mean i probably won't be into it the way i was as a kid but i can't imagine it's like it's so bad that i have to leave the room let us know next time well okay i'll i'll see led through the mist by the milk light of moon all that was lost is revealed. So our first topic today is we're going to talk about Over the Garden Wall, which is a a five episode miniseries. I guess it technically has ten episodes, it's, but yeah, it's, yeah. I guess each each two were bundled together. Exactly, because they're like ten I, minutes long. Yeah, I I actually don't know how they were aired, so I'm not sure either. Although I think they were aired over five nights, so I think they were aired like two at a time. Um, yeah so it it aired on Cartoon Network in early November and it was um, kind of a just a weird little mini series that they that they put together and um, so it's like it's it follows the adventures of two brothers uh, Wirt and Greg as they navigate this kind of dark scary wood um, called the unknown and they have a variety of adventures while trying to get back to uh, their home and Wirt is kind of uh, cowardly and um, he's a nervous, anxious fellow. Um, and then Greg is this kind of uh, uncaring, um, or not uncaring, but uh, carefree. I was gonna say naive, but carefree is better. Silly little kid who walks around with like a pot on his head. Um, and it comes from the mind of Patrick McHale, who I think worked on Adventure Time. And I should say right here that I am not an Adventure Time person. I, I mean, I've seen it and I, I, I've watched a few episodes, but I am not familiar. I'm not a fan. Um, don't really have much uh, experience with it. So like I, I am at least coming to this with from the perspective of of someone who's kind of a, a adventure time neophyte so we might say a bunch of stuff that you know people are like oh adventure time's been doing that for years or that's like so different or so similar to adventure time but like i, I don't have any any background there um right uh neither do i really i actually don't know if i've seen any of the actual series proper i mean i did enjoy 
years and years ago when the first uh, Adventure Time, like I guess like what's ostensibly their pilot came out, um, when it was just like a, a standalone mm-hmm. short uh, by Pendleton Ward. I enjoyed that way back when. I think that's the only thing I've seen of it. Yeah, so I mean, he—I think he worked for Mikhail, who who created uh, Over the Garden Wall. Worked for Adventure Time for like four or five years, um, but yeah, we don't have a- any experience. And, and I know, like, people that I know and like respect the opinions of, like, really love Adventure Time and think that it's, you know, smart and funny and geeky and perfect. And I, I don't know what to tell you except that i've just never managed to get into it i've i've tried to watch it a couple times and i always just fall back out of it so anyway i'm approaching over the garden wall at least from the perspective of someone who um has not seen adventure time um but yeah i watched this on the recommendation of my brother colin who was like there's this crazy weird uh, animated show you should watch it and then you watched it on my recommendation Ryan again I think neither of us knew much about it going in um, right what was your impression of the show and, and did you enjoy it and and uh, if so why yeah no I, I actually did enjoy it Um, I appreciated the art style first of all mm-hmm. which is um Maybe a little simple, but at the same time, pretty charming. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it has like it has this habit of each episode, um, you're kind of just thrown into things. Like you have like fr- right from the get go, like they're just uh, Wart and Greg are just wandering around, and Greg has a frog for some reason. And like I, th- I think it's like starts with them like talking about like let's name this frog and like you don't know who they really are or what they're doing why they have a frog mm-hmm. and, and to make things like, it worse just... they never actually managed to settle on a name for the frog until the very end yeah but uh, and so I mean that's that's one of the things about this show is that like each each episode each eleven minute episode or half episode or whatever you want to call it like. Um, like there's continuity throughout the whole series, but it's not. But there, there's there are gaps mm-hmm. that are just, you know, not bothered to be filled in. So like when they, like the episode starts with them, you know, in in someone's house having dinner, and you have you don't really have context for who who this new person is, why they're there, what's going on, um, and. It sort of left you to fill it in. My troubles, the deep, soul-crushing loneliness. Yes, the more money I make, the bigger my mansion gets, the more lost I feel. (laughs) Why, this house is so big, I sometimes don't even know where or who I am. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm glad your nephews here were able to pay a visit. Yeah, yeah. Yes, what a a pleasure it is to have company. A perfect pleasure, a perfect pleasure, lads, a perfect... Um, Beatrice, why are you pretending I'm this guy's nephew? We need money. You're scamming him? I was thinking more like flat out stealing from him. What? No way. Why not? We already stole a horse. Hey guys, 
No, we didn't. Fred's a talking horse. He can do whatever he wants. I want to steal. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, they it doesn't it doesn't hold your hand uh, in that way, which um, you know the the show kind of. I mean, it's it's dark, but it's never too dark, and it tends to do these kind of like one two punches where they'll have a really dark episode. Uh, you know, a ten-minute episode, and then the second half, or or you know, one of the one of the pair will be kind of more lighthearted and fun. So they keep like taking you to the edge and then bringing you back, and then taking you to the edge and then bringing you back. Um, well, and that yeah, and that it plays together with Wart and Greg very well, like that, because Greg is very, the, the younger brother is very carefree and like idealistic and energetic and happy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of that shines through in a lot of the, a lot of moments of this show. But then, you know, they are lost in this unknown forest, and there's a quote unquote beast that lurks around, and there's there's a lot of dark, scary things in there, and that's sort of a reflection on Wirt and all of his anxiety and. It's actually kind of it actually gets kind of dark at a lot of at a lot of points. Yeah, I mean it gets it gets kind of both scary occasionally and also just emotionally dark at some points too. Um and and I guess it's more the scares that they kind of back off, but they keep the emotional darkness there. So it's like you know, they I, they, I they don't pull back on that part of it. And I get I think darkness is almost the wrong word. It's like an emotional like a depth uh, that, that you don't gravity, usually get. like a yeah, an emotional like heavy heaviness or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think that you're very right, and I think it's it's interesting because so this aired. I I think like Adventure Time airs in like a prime time slot, so I think like seven or eight in the evening. Um, and as I was watching it with, um with uh satoko she was like who is this for like who are they making this for like is this a kid's show and i think it's a show that kind of takes a lot of the kind of style and tropes of like a kid's show but it's not for kids like it 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 has like anthropomorphic animals that talk and it has you know goofy songs and stuff like that um so it's like taking all these things it's like generating nostalgia by being like these things that you know, but um, using the story to tackle kind of bigger or or different ideas right. than than kids shows do. I mean, I think I think at the heart of it, um, this show is about work sort of growing up and overcoming, mm-hmm. like all of the all of the the mental blocks that he's put up for himself and in that sense i think it's very much not a kid's show yeah because words words in like high school he's like he's like you know a teenager at the very least yeah so it's just interesting and i think you know from a from a kind of animation perspective you know i i i also think it's quite beautiful and what it, it weirdly what it reminds me most of is like the early, early Winnie the Pooh cartoons, like oh, interesting. like Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day, which has like, you know, both these kind of um, like forest scenes where, where they're walking around, you know, outside Pooh's house and stuff. And then it also has like the Heffalumps and Woozles, like Nightmare Sequence, which 
is kind of it's all it's actually like weirdly reminiscent to me it's it's the closest point of contact i can have i guess that there's actually a lot of call outs to like classic animation in here that i mostly missed i think because i don't have the the background for it but i did read a couple of really interesting articles that's like you know that showing all the shots that they use that are the same as shots from like cartoons from the 30s the 40s the 50s so if you like really 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 into animation there's all kinds of little easter eggs here for you um but yeah it's it, it just it creates a very weird mood because it you know the 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 usage of these kind of styles um like it puts you it, it gives you a little bit of cognitive dissonance because you feel like you should be in watching one type of media that you feel very nostalgic about and you feel like they understand the rules of but then it goes in a totally different direction and it turns out that you know the 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 innocent little girl who you thought was you know the the victim is actually an evil monster or or stuff like that um, it it it, it it's just kind of playing with your expectations all the time like that. Penguin Pete Steve. But I think the very worst name for this frog is... Wait, wait a second. Uh, Greg? Where are we? In the woods. I mean, what are we doing out here? We're walking home. Greg, I think we're lost. We should, we should have left a trail or something. I can leave a trail of candy from my pants. <sighs> no. Though I am lost, my wounded heart resides back home in pieces strewn about the graveyard of my lost love. For only... <gasps> um, there were a couple episodes that didn't work for me. Um, and I think, you know, it's like maybe too bad because maybe I've lost my like sense of childlike wonder, but... Sometimes they pushed it just too far in the direction of of the kind of silly um, or or frivolous side, and they just kind of got on my nerves. Because oh, there also is a lot of singing, which I already kind of have a tough time with. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I have a very yeah. Tough you time don't with like, you don't like singing at all, do you? Not a big fan. I, I like it. I like it sometimes, and in general, here there were a couple songs that I actually really enjoyed. I really liked. I really like the theme song. I really liked the frogs kind of um, uh, breakout uh, song in the... Uh, on the steamboat or whatever. Yeah, on the ferry. Um, but other times I just had a really tough time, especially when Greg was singing because he's like a little kid voice. Um, about about the potatoes and molasses. I couldn't take, I couldn't take <laughs> that potatoes and molasses song. <laughs> it was stuck in my head for like three days. I was like, this has got to go. But... Uh, yeah, so uh, a tough time with with some aspects like that, but um, you know, I, every time I was like annoyed and I was like, okay, this is this is getting really old. Like, there's a uh, like Wizard of Oz parody in one of the last episodes, like maybe the ninth, like the ninth episode. Well, the ninth is the the throwback, like the the not the throwback, oh, right. the the flashback. The flashback. Yeah, so maybe maybe it must be in the eighth episode where like you know he, Greg has a dream and he goes to this oh, cloud, cloud city land. That that yeah that episode did not work for me either. Yeah, and they did it they did it well sometimes. Like I really liked the again the uh, the frogs in the steamboat episode. I really liked, and I also really liked the uh, I like the one the where, tavern one. I liked the tavern one. I I liked for the except for the potatoes and molasses. I did like the uh, animals learning to read episode 
Um, uh, but I, most I of the actually, episodes. I think that I was actually. I think that's my least favorite of the ten. But uh, you know, the episodes that I really loved were kind of the darker ones. I loved the pilot when they like encounter this strange woodsman who they uh, don't know if he's if he's safe or not. Um, I really liked the uh, one where they visit a, an insane uh, rich guy's house and pretend to be his nephews. Oh, I really liked the that mystery one, yeah. of the ghost. Um, I really liked the ringing of the bell, which is kind of the they they find this girl who is controlled by her like creepy aunt with a bell who basically makes her do all her slave bidding and stuff. Um, and then I really liked the the final two that kind of wrap it up. So every every time they went darker, I, I liked it more. And when they went lighter, sometimes I liked it, sometimes I didn't. Mostly I didn't, but um, it was still enough there to kind of keep me going through. Um, and it's not that I didn't like when the show was funny, because the show was funny even in the darkest episodes. And they had a really good ear for jokes, and the characters made you know, jokes that kind of fit with their characters and, and were funny at the same time. So, you know, I, I liked all that stuff. I, I don't, I didn't want it to be like a somber experience. I just um, liked it when they were exploring that inside the context of a story that was more serious rather than more frivolous. That's fair. Yeah. But again, I didn't quite like the frog one, so who knows? Anyway, it's, I mean, I th- I guess my last point on this is that um, I also feel just really happy to live in a time when the media environment, like, allows for things like this to exist. Like, I don't know if something this, like, weird and personal and quirky, like, gets made in 1985. I, like, genuinely don't know. I don't know what the media landscape was like then. But, like, I just feel, like... I don't know, this is such a strange and personal vision, and yet it's on, like, a major cable network, you know, ish. Like, Cartoon Network is not not some unknown thing, and, like, a lot of people, like, worked on this, so it needed, you know, budget and, and all that kind of stuff, and it just seems like we're living through such a great age of TV right now, and I'm so happy that, like, really bonkers, off-the-wall stuff, like, gets made and finds an audience like like this that that loves it because right. i don't know you're just... right but i mean i i i was as i was saying earlier i think this spiritually is very similar to uh in many ways to the adventures of pete and pete and that it's that it's sort of surreal and mm-hmm. it everything you and you're just supposed to go with it like you're not supposed to like the characters aren't like the main characters, Greg and Wirt. They're not. They're not surreal. They're mm-hmm. grounded in a certain reality. I mean, they're kind of Greg, especially, is kind of quirky, but yeah. But the things that happen to them are extremely surreal. Are yes, and like, and you can see, like, especially in. Uh, the second episode, like they know that it's weird, but they mm-hmm. they still like they accept it. You don't really realize until the end just how long they've 
uh, or just how different their reality is from the reality of the show and how new this is to them. Like, you get the sense that they know this is weird, but that it's not, it doesn't seem fundamentally different from the reality that they normally occupy. Right. And then the twist at the end. Yeah. Is just kind of that they're, they're having this reaction just because their kids and kids are adaptable. Exactly. And, and kind of take things as they go. Well, because when you're a kid, you kind of don't know better. You're like, oh, I guess that is how things are. It's like, yeah. you don't you don't know how things are necessarily supposed to be when you're a kid. Oh, they also had some interesting guest voices. You know, like Christopher Lloyd, obviously. Well, Elijah Wood, just as Wirt, is already a pretty known name for the, for the uh, lead character. But Christopher Lloyd was great. John Cleese was really great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in in multiple roles. Uh, um, Tim Curry was in it. We didn't we didn't talk much about her, but I did really love Melanie Lasky at, or Linsky. Melanie Linsky. Oh, as, as uh, Beatrice. Beatrice. The uh, kind of sarcastic, uh, streetwise bluebird who has uh, deeper secrets to reveal. Um, she was, she was pretty excellent. And there was one other voice where I was like, whoa, that's... Mm-hmm. Oh, Chris Isaac is in an episode, which is really weird to me. Yes. Um, he's he's Chris Isaac is a country singer, obviously, and he plays this giant pumpkin-headed creature. Um, and then we have, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. We don't need to recap this whole thing bit by bit. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, and, and I'm, I'm happy that it's the length that it is. Like, sometimes I could kind of see the seams where like, you know, they were skipping over stuff that it seemed like they should, or stuff went by a little bit too quickly. But in general, I really liked that it was the length that it was. I liked that it made these kind of jumps between episodes that kind of suggested that, you know, even more adventures were happening than we got to, to kind of see. And I don't know, just, it just really didn't overstay its welcome. I'm kind of like happy that it is what it is and if they never like make a sequel or, or do anything else with it again I, I won't be sad I agree do you know what this is all about do you know why we're here to be out this is out and out is one of the single most enjoyable experiences of life people you know how many people talk about we should go out this is what they're talking about this whole thing we're all out now no one is home not one person here is home we're all out there are people trying to find us. They don't know where we are. Uh, as the first entry in our new series, we're talking about the pilots of iconic gone. television shows. Um, and this week we watched the pilot for Seinfeld, which is known as the Seinfeld Chronicles. Um, right, your history with Seinfeld is a lot, um, a lot deeper than mine. Where I, I, I've always kind of watched it, but I've never been, you know, that big of a fan i've like caught on reruns i like the show but i'm not like a like a fan of seinfeld so i don't i don't think i'd seen this before and maybe like a lot of the shows we'll end up watching i was kind of struck by like the fact that there's some elements here that uh work and that will return throughout the show but also a lot of stuff that just gets discarded or that isn't quite there um it's it's just weird it's 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 rougher than i expected i would say 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think that'll be true almost across the board. These are, I mean, these are pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that just sort of happens. The actors don't quite find just how to fit their characters. The writers don't quite know how, what how they want them to go. Uh, but you're right. I mean, and this 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 was I hadn't seen this pilot in a long time either. I was surprised at how how much uh, how much more normal everything seemed. Hmm. Like they weren't they they hadn't kind of figured out how to push the envelope yet. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, e- even Kramer or Kessler, as he's Kessler called in this version, yeah. um, even he's like a lot less zany than he would be in in future everything episodes. Everything in this like like. In, in later seasons, you'll see like things that are, like just a little absurd, maybe, mm-hmm. um, bordering on like really absurd, and and this everything is like almost too mundane. Yeah, I mean, I think they maybe almost wanted so like you know kind of like the rest of the show. It opens like without much explanation of who these people are. It's like already not that concerned about like plot. Um, Basically, Jerry and George are having uh, lunch at a coffee shop, and they get into an argument about the placement of George's shirt. It's not shirt the buttons. coffee shop. No, it's not. Which is also not the a coffee little shop weird yet. yet. Um, and then the bulk of the rest of the episode kind of concerns Jerry uh, is getting a visit from a woman who he met when he was on tour, and he does not know whether the visit is romantic or whether the woman just really needs a place to stay and it wants to stay at his apartment or uh, just kind of platonically. So, um, and there's a lot of like kind of, you know, these conversations between Jerry and George about whether he is or is not interpreting the signals correctly. Um, and it's it's very Seinfeldy, but it's almost like, it's almost like too Seinfeldy. Like they wanted to prove that a show about nothing was possible. So they like really made a show about nothing and, and it, I think you're right that it is lacking that kind of absurd element that that the later seasons introduce. Like it's just it's just too like this is just too realistic. <laughs> I don't know. I, it and it, it's it's fine. It's just it's funny, and you can see where they're gonna improve on this stuff later. And so yeah, it just it. I mean, it's a good foundation. It's just the thing is like there's not everything is firing on all cylinders so to speak there's some stuff that's different that i kind of liked like some areas where it's rough around the edges that i that i thought were an improvement um all of the scenes of jerry doing stand-up are filmed in like a totally different style than they would be in the rest of the series there's like a lot of like it looks almost modern like there's a lot of like handheld stuff like over his shoulder like out at the audience and it's obviously all kind of budgetary reasons but it just I I thought it was almost more interesting than the kind of locked down pointed straight at the brick wall kind of uh, stuff that they would adopt later during his stand-up scenes uh I yeah but I also thought that in this those uh cutaway stand-up monologues ran like too long I agree I think they were well because it's easy you know, it's easier and it's cheaper. They're just like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld had already been a successful standard comedian. Right. So I think they were just like, all right, well, we only have, you know, 
we have to make a 20 minute pilot but we only have 13 minutes worth of material so the other seven are going to be jerry um and it was a little long because i mean this this really is especially this episode like this is an episode like nothing happens yeah they don't like they don't go anywhere they're in the coffee shop that coffee shop and then they're in jerry's apartment Mm -hmm. you have Kramer or Kessler like I don't even know why he's in the scene that he's in like it's it's really just so you see him yeah like he he comes over to borrow some bread I guess no meat oh yeah he has the bread (laughs) his bread in his pockets I thought I wasn't allowed to be in here this weekend (laughs) no it's okay now that that girl's not coming Uh, I, I misread the whole thing you want me to talk to her? <laughs> I know. No, I can be very persuasive. You know that I was almost a lawyer? <laughs> that close, huh? You better believe it. Hello. Oh, hi, Laura. Oh, give me a... Let me talk. I think it's interesting, oh, too, that... Uh... You know, one the the big uh, notable missing piece here uh, is Elaine, who does not appear in this episode. Um, right. And her character wasn't created until the show went, you know, got picked up and, and extra episodes were ordered. Um, and I think she's really missing. Like, I think it's a big hole that they were, were wise to fill because, uh, you know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is just so funny. And I think you needed something to break up this kind of, uh, bromance between or or you know male friendship between uh, Jerry and George like he just needed some kind of right. X factor there that kind of you know you needed a different perspective and I don't think uh, that waitress was gonna work out because she's billed in, in the opening credits as as a like a title character Mr. Seinfeld Mr. Costanza are you sure this is decaf where's the orange indicator it's missing. I have to do it in my head. Decaf left, regular right. Decaf left, regular right. It's very challenging work. Yeah, you could just see that that that, that character was was just going to have the same joke every single time, like exasperated laugh at, or exasperate an exasperated eye roll at whatever goofy thing like George and Jerry are doing. Whereas, like Elaine was not uh, separate from their antics she was like very much Mm. in on their antics which is was really important i think oh i did i did um read that so originally jerry wanted to do a stand-up bit about dogs Mm -hmm. and that's why uh kramer has a dog in that one scene (laughs) who comes in and like attacks george but then Rob Reiner was like, why are you doing this stand-up bit about a dog? It doesn't make any sense in this episode. And so then they just, they rewrote like what Jerry does in the stand-up bit to be more related to the rest of the episode. <laughs> and so then the dog is just in that scene for no reason. <laughs> and, it just kinda, write, and like the other things, they just write him out too. It kind of follows with Kramer's later character that he would have just randomly had a dog for no reason and then gotten rid of it for no reason. But at this point, it's just kind of this yeah, big 
open question mark where it's like, all right, I guess this guy has a dog. And then the next episode, like, oh, I guess the dog is gone. Anyway, anything else about the uh, Seinfeld pilot? No, I guess not. I'm just, I'm just still really shocked at how normal every everyone seemed in this episode. Considering that at the end of the like series, they all basically get put on trial for being horrible, deviant human beings. They all seem like like totally normal dudes in this episode. Like, I think it's really fascinating that Jason Alexander said, like, when he was recording this yeah. episode, that he didn't like his own performance because he seemed like a Woody Allen copy. And I was like, George, the character, is not like Woody <laughs> Allen. Like, that's not, I, I don't, there's, they don't seem the same to me at all. That's not, like, yeah. So it's it's weird that he had so little idea of what this was going to be like when he started to start to play the character right um so let's see this has been our our talk about seinfeld and next week we'll talk about the pilot episode of the simpsons we still have two slots open i'm not sure we've gotten very many suggestions for those two so if you have two tv series whose pilots you want us to talk about uh, then please get in touch um, this has been Pop Cultural Osmosis. You can uh, tweet us on Twitter. We're Pop Cultural Osmo. Um, you can find us on Tumblr. You can ask us questions or, or suggest topics for us to talk about. Um, next week, we'll be discussing The Simpsons. So if you can find it, go out and check out the pilot episode of The Simpsons. And uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening. Yeah, let us know what you think. <laughs>